This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General John McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Thursday edition of the Utopia Football Podcast. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Kane and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, my good friend, the Hall of Famer, and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain, as we get you ready for Broncos, Texans, noon kick on Sunday, a game you can hear on Sports Radio 610, 9 a.m. Texans countdown with me and Seth Payne, and at 11.15, John McClain joins us on Texans countdown John it is here the Broncos game we're going to dig into that with a six-pack in just a moment um, but let's get to a little bit of Texans news off of the top we got a little bit of good news we got a little bit of bad news let's start with the good uh, moments ago just moments before you and I jumped on this uh, on this here podcast on this here stream yard CJ Stroud for the second time in three swings named offensive rookie of the month in the NFL shocking. he is having shocking, huh? shocking. Well, is there anybody else? Well, Jordan Addison won it the one time CJ didn't win it. But as far as this month goes, uh, no, like nobody's close for the month of November, right? All these all these comebacks took place. These late game heroics all took place, if I'm not mistaken, all took place in the month of November. So, yeah, you're right. It's a landslide for CJ. The laws to uh, Carolina and Atlanta, I'm guessing we're in uh, October. October. They both were. You're correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, John, like they, we, we really are talking potentially the greatest rookie season of all time for a quarterback. He's, uh, he's, we're there. He's, he's got things he can do. You know, he's got first with four consecutive 300 yard games. He also can set the franchise record with another one, five. Uh, Watson did four two times. Uh, Matt Schaub did it first time in 2010. And now he can break that record and he's got a chance. He's got six 300-yard games. Justin Herbert has the most, and he and Tank Dell are on the verge of setting some records for rookie tandems that go all the way back to 1948. John, I, I brought this up on Payne and Pendergast today about CJ, and and um, I think Seth ultimately arrived at the same spot I did. He started kind of thinking through historically with the team. Is this the best that we've seen the quarterback position played by a Houston Texans quarterback in the history of the franchise right now? Given the Boy, fact that he doesn't have a run game and his offensive line is a mess? Yeah, I wouldn't say he's better than Watson because Watson was great, led the league in all kinds of stats in 2020, and he's got to do it over the whole season. But uh, I wouldn't say he was, he was better than Watson. John, I'll point out he's, he's won more games. Season. He's won more games already this season than Watson won in 2020. Yeah, well, unfortunately, 
you got to have a lot of players around contributing to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't um, know, man. You can go like with I, Stroud. I'm going with Watson. Yeah. With, with Stroud having a chance to be uh, the best rookie quarterback in history, but he's going to have to win. He's going to have to get in the playoffs or he'll be like Watson, you know, playing great for a team that uh, had a losing record if they, if they suffer that disappointment. But it's between him and Watson, right? Like Seth oh, yeah. was kind of going, Seth was kind of going back to those, those late era, late Schaub Kubiak era offenses. And Schaub was certainly a really good facilitator in those offenses, but I never watched Matt Schaub at any point and thought he was playing the quarterback position at the level that we saw peak Watson or this version of CJ Stroud. And he had Andre Johnson there with him. There's no Andre Johnson on this team. So yeah, I wouldn't, Matt, Matt had a couple of good years, but uh, Stroud is having a great year an all-timer for a rookie. Hopefully they can have a winning record and uh, set him up, if not for the playoffs, at least for next year, yeah. when uh, nobody will be taking the Texans lightly. And the Texans are going off season knowing they're not one of those many teams that still needs a franchise quarterback. On, um, this is uh, our first chance on the podcast to react to the Titus Howard season-ending knee injury. It uh, uh, was reported yesterday, uh, right before we jumped on with Seth and I, is when the news came down in the 8 o'clock hour, the Titus Howard out for the season. And I guess what what is your, for the podcast audience here, what was your reaction, what is your reaction to Titus Howard being out for the year? I feel terrible for Titus. I feel terrible for the Texans because Titus is a good guy. He's a good right tackle. He hadn't played well at left guard. Now, I watched all these national people whether they were writing or broadcasting, talking about what a severe blow it is to the Texans' offensive line. If Juice Scruggs can continue what he did last week when he was playing for the first time since preseason, I think he can do a pretty good job. Oh, Titus is his patellar tendon, and so that's a tough one to come back from in a short period. So I'm guessing we won't see him in camp, maybe not early in the season. Mm. That's brutal. That's brutal because that's the one area of this team, John, that that Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans appeared to be doing some long-term planning with was the offensive line. Like of all the other positions, they were kind of filling with stop gaps and young players and things like that. The one area of this team that they have really committed to long-term, long-term by NFL standards, three-year extension for Laramie, three-year extension for Titus, three-year extension for Shaq Mason, drafting Juice Scruggs, who you have for another three years on a rookie deal after this, drafting Kenyon Green last year, who at this point you probably – at this point I have a hard time thinking that he's going to be a, a fifth-year option guy after his third year. It's He just needs to get healthy again. But but they've committed a lot of resources to, the, to this offensive line, and now you're already going into – to your point, there's already glitchiness in 2024 on the offensive line. We haven't even gotten through 2023 yet. Um, and I would imagine that 2024 would have involved moving Titus Howard back to back to right tackle, which is what he's getting paid $18 million a year to play. But I'm with you. Like I, as I'm watching, as I'm getting that news about Titus yesterday, I'm like, all right, well, they like, this is just the next in a long line of what have been bad left guards on this team from Kenyon green to Kendrick green, you know, to now Titus Howard, I juice Scruggs has a chance to be the best out of all these guys for the 2023 season. Cause that bar is not very high to clear right now. It's interesting going back to when they reported for the rookie minicamp all the way through uh, 
the off-season program, preseason. Juice Scruggs was a starting center. Jared Patterson was a backup guard. Then when Juice went down, Jared started every game till he went out for the season. And now Scruggs is playing left guard for the first time since college. Those two guys, I'm based on what I've seen and what I've heard about them, that bodes very well for the future. We don't know Shaq Mason's going to be back for another season. You know, I think he's 30. He'll be 31. Hopefully he will. Hopefully Titus will be back at right tackle. They like they like George Favan a lot. It'll be interesting next year. Right now they'll go into the season, I'm guessing, with Fant starting at right tackle, Charlie Heck as the swing tackle, unless Charlie can win the right tackle job and leave Fant as the swing tackle. And then when Titus is healthy and ready to come back, you know, hopefully they won't play him at guard anymore. And you know, I feel bad for him because he's he knows he's a tackle. He's doing it because they believe he was one of the five best linemen. That's the idea. Always get your five best on the field. But the offensive line has continues to be an issue, uh, mainly this year because of injuries. And you think after all the injuries this year, maybe next year, they'll be healthy. Um, John, the one thing about George Fant and Charlie Heck, they got to sign them. They're both these guys are free agents. You know, George Fant's here on a one-year deal, and Charlie Heck's in the last year of his rookie deal. And I, I don't think Shaq Mason's going anywhere. They gave him twenty-two million guaranteed before this season. So if they were to move on from Shaq Mason, there'd be a big cap hit that comes with that. It's just it, it is for an offensive line that has by and large not played very well this year. It, it, that's a sticky situation for the 2024. It's bad enough for the 2023 Texans. This is a sticky situation moving forward. Because and and let's point out too, Laramie Tunsil's been dealing with some sort of knee issue all year long as well. Like I'm, my guess is that that Laramie either has one of those knee knee surgeries that we never hear about in the off season, or that we actually do hear something reported and it happens right after the season is over that he had his knee scoped or cleaned out or something because he's been dealing with a knee injury all year. I think we'll see a lot of that. Eric Winston told me one time he always got things done, but he didn't want anybody to know about it. He didn't want other teams thinking, okay, well, we'll zero in on that, right. even though it was six months away. I think some of them get a little too paranoid. But, yeah, Tunsil's not been 100% in a long time, and he missed games early in the year. But uh, Tunsil will be back for sure. Titus will be back at some point. Charlie X not going to get an offer to go anywhere unless his daddy convinces the Chiefs to do it because he didn't get to play this year, and he's not going to cost a lot of money. And yeah. based on, you know, George Fan, he may take a deal that's good for him because, you know, what, how valuable would he be on the open market? I don't think he'd be very valuable. But uh, if they could stay healthy, they should be a lot better up front. I would hope so. And you get Juice Scruggs maybe playing his natural position and Jared Patterson gets to move back over to guard if you're going to use him. Who knows where Kenyon Green fits into all this. Um, it's it, it's um, it's a little messy, but but uh, hopefully it gets figured out in the offseason. All right, so that's your Texans news, good and bad. C.J. Stroud, Offensive Rookie of the Year or Rookie of the Month, soon to be Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, good news, Titus Howard out for the season. Um, I, I, you know, I guess bad news, bad news. I get, yeah, bad news for Titus. And, and, and I don't think it affects, I don't think it affects the performance of the offensive line a single bit, as, honestly. As long um, as Stroud is playing the way he's playing, yeah. think of all those combinations of linemen they've used this year. And other than the loss to Jacksonville, where he was under pressure over 60% of the time, and he played great, 
He threw yeah. on the run. He ran. He has showed as long as he is healthy, it doesn't matter who else is out because he's lost receivers. He's lost starting running back. He's yeah. lost linemen, and he's continued to excel. And that's why the Texans are six five, playing in such a crucial game on Sunday. Crucial game. Let's get into that. And by the way, this will be the sixth combination of offensive linemen that they'll have started in 12 games so far this year. The sixth different combination when presumably Juice Scruggs starts at left guard on Sunday for the Texans. All right, John, let's get into it. The Denver Broncos, six and five. The Houston Texans, six and five. The Texans, as of this morning, favored by four points in this game. The Texans are the eighth seed in the AFC. The Broncos are the ninth seed in the AFC. The Broncos are coming in here on a five-game winning streak. Uh, the Texans, after starting out the season 0-2, have won six of nine, of course, coming off that loss to Jacksonville last week. And they've played seven straight games that have ultimately been decided in, if not the last minute, the last few seconds of some of these games, including last week's game against Jacksonville, where uh, Matt Amendola bounced the ball off the crossbar from 58 yards that would have tied the game. So there's a lot of juice to this game. It's not a great slate of NFL games on Sunday. That's why CBS moved the game to a noon kickoff. It's going out to a huge, huge portion of the United States in that early window. And then the Niners and the Eagles are the marquee game in the late window. Um, and we'll get to our predictions in just a second. But John and I always preview this through a pregame six-pack. He gives three. I give three. People, coaches, storylines, whatever, things that are going to affect the outcome of this football game. Uh, the one tradition with this exercise, John, is you always go first. Thank you, Sean. Um, in that five-game winning streak, they're giving up 16.5 points, and they also forced 15 turnovers in the last four games, and they lead the league in takeaways with 22. So they're winning without scoring a lot of points. They're, they have a – can't remember, but they're negative points. Texans are positive. They get off to great starts. Texans don't. Texans have gotten off to slow starts. It's almost like they like to play from behind. But the one thing Denver's been doing besides forcing turnovers is they've run the ball better. Uh, for the season, let's see, I got these here. For the season, uh, well, the last five games are averaging 127 yards a game rushing. And they don't get a lot of yards, but they run it a lot. Texans are eighth, eighth against the run, averaging 95. 5.1 yards, but over the last seven games, Texans have given up 82.8. So I don't think Javante Williams, unless Russell Wilson runs for a lot of yards and he's run for over 250, I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball. Texans run defense, which was good against Jacksonville, but terrible at getting pressure on Trevor Lawrence. They got to stop the run again and do a much better job against Russell Wilson. So I'm saying that run defense has got to run defense is your to be great. Your first bottle in the six pack is the Texans run defense. Absolutely. That's a good one. I'll give you some numbers, John. 3.6 yards per carry. That's what the Texans are giving up. Third in the league. Third best in the league on a per carry basis. Denver did pound the hell out of the ball against Cleveland last week. 39 carries for 169, 169 yards against a pretty good Browns defense. Um, 4.3 yards per carry last week. By the way, those scoring margin numbers that you're bringing up, both these teams are 6-5 and five on the season. The Texans are plus 27 scoring margin cumulatively on the year, so right about where you'd think you'd be for a team that's a game above 500. The Broncos are minus 34, but this is where I give them a mulligan. That 70-20 to 20 game against Miami skews so many of their season stats right now. I mean, Miami went for almost 700 yards of offense. They rushed for 400 yards. They scored 70 points. They beat them by 50. 
Um, that's I, with the Broncos, John, especially in light of the fact that they're on a five game winning streak, you almost got to look at the Broncos season as one of those things like where you get to throw out your lowest score sort of thing. Um, and, and, and treat that Miami game like it's just an outlier because it was just such a horrible, horrible day for them. And I've, that's why I've done most, most of those stats figuring during the winning streak. Yeah. Cause that seems to be more indicative of what they are and the way that 70, 20 skewered everything. It's not really fair to them. I agree. Um, John, my first one in the six pack is Derek Stingley Jr. He's come back nicely from that hamstring injury um, a few games ago in the Cincinnati game. He just came back and he was on a snap count. But ever since then, the last two games, he's been full go and he's had interceptions in each of the two games so far. So that's been great to see. Fun fact, John, Derek Stingley Jr. has more career interceptions than Sauce Gardner. I'm merely presenting that number. is just It's just a number, John. He's got three. Sauce Gardner has two career interceptions. I'm just putting that out there. Um, but we remember in Stingley's rookie season last year, they played Denver in week two, and he really struggled at times against Cortland Sutton in that game. Cortland Sutton had a really, really good game. I would imagine if if they're you know if D'Amico is going to be inclined to play coverage and play man in this thing that that'll be the assignment for Derek Stingley Jr. again might be Cortland Sutton we'll see um, but De- I'm looking for Derek Stingley Jr. to continue to make an impact in the secondary the big thing they've got to do John as we know they've got to they've got to tighten up some of the hatches here on some of these explosives Jacksonville got way too many easy explosives they didn't even have to break tackles they they were just they were running against the air Jacksonville was. And then, obviously, a few weeks ago in Stingley's first game back, Cincinnati had two receivers go over 100 yards. Arizona hit some downfield stuff early in the game with Kyler Murray. So they need to tighten some things on the back end, and it starts with Derek Stingley Jr. for me. He also has been very physical with making hits. Yeah. He's had one big physical hit in each of the last two games, and you almost hold your breath hoping he doesn't hurt that hamstring. Next week, Sauce versus Stingley uh, at MetLife Stadium. Can't wait. That'd yep. be a much better battle than CJ Stroud versus Tim Boyle. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh no, yeah, Tim, yeah, Tim Boyle on the ass of the NFL. That's what I call him right now. <laughs> what you got, oh, John? That's what's terrible. Your, what's your? It's it's a it's a podcast, you know. Uh, John, what's your second bottle in the six pack here? The rookie tandem of CJ Stroud and Tank Dale. They're on the mm. verge of history. It's amazing. Uh, right now. Tank has seven touchdown catches. He's tied for first among rookies, 709 yards. He's second among rookies. When he gets another one, he'll have eight, and they'll be the fourth. They will be the fourth rookie combination to have at least eight, and the first since 1999. And the record is nine, and it's shared by Charlie Connerly and Bill Spiaki of the Giants in 1948 and Jim Plunkett and Randy Vitaha in 1971. And based what we based on what we've seen, Sean, I think they're going to surpass Connerly and Plunkett, and they'll get 10 and set the all-time record. And Tank, he can be the first rookie with at least five catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown in five consecutive games, and the first to do it in seven games overall. Uh, right now he's tied with six rank one Bolden. Mm. In 2023. So I think Stroud and Dell quite a twosome. I'm guessing now Patrick Sertan is going to be the second, might be put on Tank, and they're going to have to move Tank around. Although, would he be put on 
uh, Nico, Nico Collins or Noah Brown. Yeah. Because right now, Tank Dell is their biggest play wide receiver. Yeah, I, I'm going to add to that, John. I'm going to my my second six pack entry. I'm going to add to that. It looks like Noah Brown's going to play in this game. Um, he practiced yesterday, and he's missed the last couple games with a knee. That's coming off of two his probably his two best games as a pro. Maybe yeah, absolutely I, I they are. I didn't follow him super close in Dallas. Maybe he had some out. You know, some nope. some most he, he had was 93 yards. And I think it was against the Texans actually. <laughs> yeah. So. So um, he had games of over 150 and one of over 170. And I think this is where it's big that Noah Brown comes back. And I, I'm not here to say that the Broncos rush the passer with the same degree of success that Jacksonville does. I, they don't have a Josh Allen on that defense. Hell, they, they were letting guys like Frank Clark and Randy Gregory go earlier this year. And now they're, their edge rushing is all a bunch of no-name young guys that are doing a pretty decent job. They did a good job last week against uh, Cleveland. I think they had four sacks last week. But this is where Noah Brown is huge, John. On all those plays last week against Jacksonville where C.J. Stroud's getting flushed from the pocket and he's buying time and he's waiting for something to break downfield, so many of those catches Noah Brown had in that two- and three-game stretch were um, were of that variety, you know, where the play broke down, you're now off script, it's not how you drew it up, and Noah Brown just had such a knack for finding areas it's, you know, finding spaces in the defense where CJ could find him and get big chunk plays. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be huge having Noah Brown back. And this will be the first game, assuming the tank Dell is healthy as well. I know he didn't practice yesterday, but it doesn't sound like it's a major deal with his calf. Um, knock on wood, but this will be the first time since the opening week that they'll have their full complement of veteran wide receivers out there. And really the first game of this new elite version of C.J. Stroud that's ever had the full complement of receivers because the only time they had it was in week one where C.J. Stroud's swimming against Baltimore as a rookie making his first start in a hostile environment. That excites me. It's it's uh, Denver's defense has been better defending the pass in this win streak. Weeks 5 through 12, they're giving up a 76 passer rating, which is really, really good. But I, I think I'm confident that C.J. can move the football against any defense as long as he's got his guys out there. I agree with you 100%. What's your uh, last one, As long one, as he's Jones? healthy, he's capable of beating anybody and doing just about anything. And It's very encouraging to watch what he did against Jacksonville. It got yeah. tremendous pressure on him. He didn't fold, and he continued to excel. Yeah, it's 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 really amazing. He's, he's an incredible player. What's your last one, John? The Broncos are last in the NFL in run defense. Mm-hmm. So – does that mean the Texans might actually be able to run the ball? Broncos give up 155.2 yards a game. They're 30th in defense overall, 23rd against pass. But 155-2 kind of reminds me of what how bad the Texans' run defense was last week. Now, the Texans' running game with Devin Singletary and Damian Pierce was awful against the Jaguars. Just totally inept, and they had a lot to do with the offensive line. They got to be able to run the ball, take some pressure off Stroud, and do it against the Broncos. In the previous two games in which Singletary was tremendous, they went up against mediocre to bad run defenses, and they abused them, and they ought to be able to abuse the Broncos. Yeah, John, and this is, I, I agree with you, and I'll take it a step further and say they need to run it to where they're not having to throw on third and one and fourth and one. Like, they've got to be able to line up and get yards when you know you need yards on the ground. Short yardage situations, 
end of game where if you go and you just go get a first down at the end of a game, uh, then that burns another two, three minutes off the clock. You know, like when you just – that to me is when when this running game will have arrived, and I don't think it's going to happen this season. I think it's going to take another offseason. But uh, when, when the good teams, especially in this offense, they run the ball when teams know they want to run the football. You know, they're winning physical battles there. So I – I'm with you. Like I hope they're run, they're going against a bad run defense this week. The one thing I won't let myself, uh, I won't delude myself into, is if Devin Singletary does go for 140 yards against Denver, that they're going to go into New York next week against the Jets defense, and this means they finally arrived and they're going to run it against the <laughs> Jets. Like this is a team that runs it against bad defenses. That's progress compared to the beginning of the year when they weren't running against anybody. What worries me. They gave Damian Pierce one fewer carry than Singletary. Singletary earned the right to get more carries than Pierce. And yeah. I'm not saying Pierce was a problem because neither was effective and the line was terrible. But in this game, I don't want to see Damian Pierce have as many carries as Singletary because Singletary has clearly been better this season. Yeah, the only thing I'd say about that, John, is it was only 11 carries between the two of them. You know what I mean? It's not like they each had 15 carries or something like that. When the, your top two backs get 11 carries, you scrap the run game for the day. And the thing I would say is I think if you look at the – I haven't looked at the snap counts for the last game, but I would bet that Devin Singletary got the lion's share of the snaps, particularly on third down. He's We know he's out there and Damian's not out there. And Dave, uh, Devin did catch six passes in that game too. So he, you know, he got his hands on the ball – in other ways that they weren't using Damian at all for in that game. Like I, I don't, I don't come away looking at that game last week that Devin Singletary got six carries and Pierce got five as some sort of indicator that now Bobby Slowick is, is using this as like a two headed monster. I, I think just the mere presence on the field of Singletary for most of the snaps tells me that if it does turn into a game where they're running the football, I think it's still going to be a majority Devin Singletary. At least well, I like you, I hope that's the case. I hope you're right. Also yeah. when the game's close, like the Jacksonville game, to not have more runs yeah. is atrocious. Yeah, you know, in close games, you should be running the ball more and throwing on third Amen. and one and fourth and one. And I hate it. We talked about this earlier in the week. I hate it when it's third and one and they're in a shotgun. I want to see him under center because Stroud has kept the ball for first downs. Mm-hmm. You know, he's six three. He's pretty strong. And uh, I remember Warren Moon used to run the quarterback sneak better than anybody I've ever seen. Because he would tell the center, Jay Pennison, and the only thing that matters for the line is when the ball snapped, and he wouldn't even tell his lineman that when he goosed Pennison, snapped the ball. So he'd be up there, he would goose him, he'd snap it, he'd run the sneak, nobody would be ready on offense or defense, and it worked every time. When you say he goosed him, John, is that what I think it is? Does yeah. he get, get his hand up in there and that's, that's tough. give you the, your give hands the up in there anyway? Or... You got to give him the thumb. Okay. Boy, well, that's okay. That's way more graphic than whatever I just yeah, talked well, about. The a pants few are ago. tight. You know, there's that's, limitations. <laughs> I, I like the one thing we've learned from CJ Stroud being mic'd up is that Michael Dieter is a very, very chronic sweater. Did you, did you see that, that clip, John? It was hilarious. Michael Dieter apparently is like, <laughs> I forget what game it was, but he's like, CJ comes over. He's like, my hands are soaking wet. This guy sweats way too much. He was dead serious. He's like, can we change Dieter's jersey? Like, he's soaked. He is soaked. I thought he um, needed to change his pants, not his jersey. Dude, oh, nasty. I, I would be in shotgun all the time if I was a quarterback. I don't want to get my hands up in there. <laughs> Forget that. 
Uh, last one for me, John. I'll just keep it simple. Denver really bad at defending tight ends. I, I, this was a, this was a, a handicap or a take for me last week against Jacksonville. They were bad at defending tight ends, and Dalton Schultz was nowhere to be found the entire game, except on a deep shot on fourth and one. Um, I'm going to go back to the well. Denver not very good at defending tight ends. Um, they are 30th in doing so. And I maybe you know maybe it's one of those things that's part and parcel with running the football. You know, when you have a game where you're running the football. Maybe that intermediate passing game is more involved as opposed to a game where, hey, we're not running. We're just taking shots down the field, which the Texans are doing. I do think they're going to run the football, and thus I do think the tight end is going to be involved, more involved, hard to be less involved than Dalton Schultz was last week. But I'm going to put Dalton Schultz as the last bottle in the six-pack here. Uh, Denver 30th against tight ends. They allow a 115.9 passer rating to tight ends this season. So I'm going to go Dalton Schultz as my last one. There's speculation that he was hurt. And that's why they didn't go to him. That's why Brevin Jordan played more. Yeah. He's played before. Now he's on the injury report like he got hurt early in the game. That'll be interesting to watch to make sure he's active. And uh, because it sure took away from their offense, not Evan Schultz, with his usual pro- productivity. Yep, no doubt. He's really built a good rapport with C.J. Stroud. John, I'll alter it then to say Texans tight ends. How's that? Texans tight ends in this game. Um, all right, John, what's your prediction on the game? I'm going to go – I pick them almost every week, three points. So I'm going to go Texans 24-21. 24-21. Let me pull up what I, I – I made my prediction in my Houston Press piece, I think. By the and way, so I make tell sure people how to get your column because you it was a great idea and a great job. You need to tell them every week about how to get your I know, Houston I know. Press. I, yeah, I'll I did – um, yeah, I thank you. I appreciate that, John. Yeah, the, the post that I did for today was, is C.J. Stroud versus Trevor Lawrence the next great NFL QB rivalry? And I kind of went through the history of the AFC South of the fact that there's never been a rivalry like this um, in the AFC South ever. Uh, there's never been a, a rivalry like this with two young quarterbacks at the same time. You know, you had Peyton Manning and, you know, Vince Young was something for a couple of years. Um, you had Deshaun Watson and Andrew Luck for a year. That's all we got out of that. Um, but this is two highly drafted, young, very likable, very productive quarterbacks on two what look to be two very good teams moving forward. So, yes, thank you, John. That's my that's my my post, my column for today on HoustonPress.com is where you can find that. And you can find my whole archive of posts that I've had up there. My prediction, John, 24 to 16 Texans, 24, 16. So well, um, that, that might be one that they've had seven in a row decided in the last 30 seconds yeah and that is amazing and that's another thing about a rookie quarterback who is thriving in those situations it's crazy it's it is it is so fun to watch all right john so you and i both have the texans winning you by three i have them by eight um you ready to do some for real or fugazis i'm ready all right we take a look around other other things going on in the NFL, a few Texans things and then some non-Texans things. I've got an Astros one in here as well. For real or Fugazi, for those new to the podcast, it's a segment we do every Thursday. I read a sentence, um, a statement as if it is true. John listens to it, processes it, and if he agrees with it, that it is true. He says, for real. If he disagrees with it, he thinks it's silly, it's crazy, whatever the case may be. He says, Fugazi. Fugazi. That is Italian for fake, counterfeit, or false. Or All right, John, here we go. Here we go. Um, Aaron Rodgers, practice window activated this week. His 21-day window to uh, to play 
football again this season has been activated. The Jets, of course, are four and seven right now. John, for real or for gazy, Aaron Rodgers will play football in 2023. I'm guessing he will. It's for real. Wow. Because they can beat the Falcons. They'll probably be so fired up they'll beat Atlanta. And then they're great defense. Uh, then they got the Texans. I think Miami is the week after that. But I think yeah, it is. It is. if he wins, if he goes two and one, he's going to come back. Everybody will love him. Of course, they're going to love him even trying to come back. Some people think he's doing it because of the attention. There's even the Greg Doyle, a columnist in Indianapolis, said he didn't tear his Achilles. They're lying about it. He's proved he's a liar. But I think he's man. He's manned up, and he wants to play. And I hope he does. It would certainly make the Jets relevant because if it yeah. wasn't for him being injured and all the news around him, there'd be no reason to pay any attention to the Jets. Yeah, Greg Doyle hates Aaron Rodgers because of his vaccine stance. Like Greg Doyle is a, he's he's very open about his views on things politically and whatnot. And he hates that Aaron Rodgers goes on the Pat McAfee show and, you know, openly kind of mocks Pfizer and things like that, like that. So the, like the Greg Doyle thing, like that feels personal to me. I've, Greg Doyle's written multiple columns about Aaron Rodgers. I think Doyle's a really good writer, but he's, it's, there's clearly something going he's on. Let him get personal. You can't do that. Yeah. That's that. That's clearly what Hurts he's doing. Credibility. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Rodgers plays. I do think that he is kind of doing some of this for, attention and if they go two and one in these next two games john they're six and eight i mean it's not they're still very much on the outside looking in for what is is looks to be right now a fairly i don't want to say stacked afc playoff picture but like you you know the texans are six and five and they're out of it right now i think the last team in the nfc right now is five and six it's much more top heavy in the nfc so i don't know i i disagree with you that he'll come back and play i would love to see it it would be really interesting if he came back and played um, but I just don't I don't see that happening. Um, John, we know we just thought we dissected the whole Titus Howard thing every which way. Um, Titus Howard, hopefully back healthy in 2024. He's got a three year extension that he signed. The cap hit to get rid of Titus Howard after the 2024 season would be six million dollars. Not outrageous, given the fact that the cap is soaring towards three hundred million dollars in the next couple of years. John Farrell Fugazi, Titus Howard will be on another NFL team, not the Texans, in 2025. So after next season. Fugazi, I'm going to see he gets to play right tackle. He plays better. He stays healthy. And that will merit an extra season. Okay. Well, there you go. I, I'm I'm up in the air on that one. I, I could go either way. Titus has had the strangest career. He really has. Like he's Every odd-numbered year, he plays left guard. Every even-numbered year, he plays right tackle. And somehow he winds up with an $18 million year extension along the way. Like it's, it's just, a, it's been a strange ride for him. Uh, all right, John, I don't know if you saw the Pro Bowl ballot is out. Uh, it just came out, I think it just came out today, possibly within the last couple of days. Very, very deep quarterback group in the AFC. Three quarterbacks get named to each conference, as you know. In the AFC, there's guys like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Tua, Trevor Lawrence, all worthy of consideration. John Farrell, Fugazi. Justin, yeah, I almost wrote her. They're four and seven, and their coach is about to get fired. Um, but Herbert is a very good player, for sure. Um, John Farrell, Fugazi, C.J. Stroud will be one of the three quarterbacks named to the AFC Pro Bowl team in 2023. Fugazi, I think he'll get in as an alternate because most guys don't want to play in that game. Do yeah. they even play a game anymore? No, it's just the Pro Bowl games. Remember, they they play like a bunch of, oh, you know, yeah. musical chairs and beer pong and things like that. Stuff like yeah. that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say he's not one of the top three, but he's going to get in. Okay. He definitely Somebody deserves to be on vacation. Or yeah. Get hurt. Yeah. 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 Well, or play in the Super Bowl. Like, right. I mean, yeah. let's, you know, there, there's, point. yeah, there's one of those. Guys, Mahomes or Jackson. Yeah. One of those two guys, Mahomes or Jackson, in all likelihood, or Tua or Trevor. I mean, those are the four guys that are the quarterbacks for the division leaders right now. Um, all right, John. Uh, of course, the Texans play the Broncos this weekend. One former Texan that is a Denver Bronco right now is Kareem Jackson. He's going to miss the game because he has once again been suspended by the NFL for um, for unnecessary roughness, you know, for 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 plays that are injuring people or violent plays. Uh, John Farilla Fugazi, Kareem Jackson has become a dirty football player. Fugazi, I don't think he's dirty. I think uh, he never was here, and then he got moved to safety. And he's had a lot of helmet helmet hits, but I always liked him and respected him, especially the longevity of his career. So I'm going to say he's not dirty. Most everybody else would say he is dirty. Yeah, I don't think he is either. I like Kareem. He's a sweetheart. Um, All right, a few more here, John. Let's circle back to um, a little Texans angle here. Actually, Texans, but with Carolina Panthers at the forefront. We know Frank Wright got fired earlier this week. Frank Wright, as uh, (laughs) David Tepper called him. Yeah, was that passive-aggressive, do you think, him doing that? Um, um, Mike Florio wrote about it. I was listening, and I heard him do it once. Yeah. Then he called him Reich, and so I thought, okay, he just slipped up. Then he did it again. And I think a person in the media told Florio, that's that's his way. That's his way of keeping people in place. Well, he doesn't have to keep Reich in place anymore. I thought if he didn't do it on purpose, it makes him look stupid. And if he did do it on purpose – it makes him look stupid. Yeah, I I could see where a guy like Tepper would feel like some degree of vindictiveness that Reich somehow failed him, and this was his way of insulting him, was <laughs> to mispronounce his name. I know because that's something I would definitely do if I were a billionaire, for sure. <laughs> so, um, But, John, Frank Reich, of course, fired earlier this week, 1-10 on the season, for real or Fugazi. C.J. Stroud is a huge reason that Frank Reich got fired this week. For real. Every time Dave Tepper, the owner, sees what's happening with Stroud and the Texans, he's upset that it hasn't happened with the Panthers, even though they don't have the talent. Now, before the season, you know, they won, what, seven games last year? Yeah, they were they had the ninth pick overall. They were, I mean, they weren't a good football team, but they weren't like dregs of the league bad. But nobody was picking them to finish ahead of the Texans. In, I mean, behind the Texans in the standings. Correct. But the Texans have had talent emerge with a really good coaching staff yep. and some shrewd personnel decisions by Nick Casario. And they don't have that over there. Scott Fitterer came as a GM from the Seahawks. Now he could be out right now. He's supposed to be helping Tepper. If they fire him, who the heck's going to hire their next coach? They think it's going to be Ben Johnson because he's from North Carolina. I'm guessing Ben Johnson wants to go to the Chargers and take over Justin Herbert and Bryce Young with no talent around it. But I think every time Stroud does something good and the Texans, it just makes Tepper infuriated. Do you what do you think happens with Josh McCown now, John? I mean, we're like a year removed from him almost getting the Texans or a year, year change. Pull the rug oh. out from under him and his family. Yeah, like uh uh I mean he was almost the head coach of the Houston Texans. Now he's been fired 
11 games into his coaching career as the quarterback coach for a what up until now is a failed number one overall pick. What do you think happens with Josh McCown? He's so well respected. He'll end up in an organization, if not the quarterback coach, assistant quarterback coach. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I thought he was going to be a head coach here, I, you know, he played 17 years. I called people from different franchises who worked with him, who covered him, and nobody said anything negative about Josh McCown. He's got a chance to be a great head coach in about seven or eight years. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's I, I got to go back and watch some of those press conferences from back when Josh McCown was almost. Remember when they brought him in here, John, during the COVID year? Like they pulled him off of the Easterby. Easterby yanked him off of the Eagles practice. God, God, Easterby, boy, for a while there, man, he was he was Littlefinger. Like he had a, he almost got his whole his whole construct in place. He went from um, Littlefinger to Middlefinger. He did, yes, and it ended the same for Easterby as it did for Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. During that 2020 season, when uh, Easterby was interim GM, and they got McCown here, I had a player that I respect a lot tell me, "I'll guarantee you." Jack Easterby is going to do everything he can to get Josh McCown to be the next head coach. That's crazy. And I said, that's ridiculous. You know, there's no way. He said, those guys are two peas in a pod. They do things together. They talk mm. constantly. They walk around with each other. You just watch. And right. during that coaching search that ended up with David Culley, they announced on a Friday, uh, we've interviewed uh, Josh McCown. But it was the next year that uh, Easterby thought he could get him pushed through. And he almost did. Almost did, man. Almost did. This close. All right, John, two more quick ones here. Um, a lot of talk about Alex Bregman and a contract extension that doesn't appear to be coming anytime soon because Bregman wants a – seems like the rumors are he wants a longer-term deal. He wants to get that eight- or ten-year deal. He's only 30 years old. He's got one year left on his deal. John, for real or Fugazi, an Alex Bregman trade will be one of Dana Brown's big major moves this offseason. Fugazi, he's not stupid. There's not going to be a big market to give Bregman that kind of contract. It's not like he drives in 100 runs every year and it's 30 home runs. He's valuable. He's good. He's a good third baseman. And he took a team-friendly contract before. I think that uh, he'll, at some point, he and I guess Boris is his agent. Yeah. They'll see the light. Boris always wants a player to take as much as he can get. And I would hope Bregman, because he's so entrenched in Houston, might say, hey, $100 million is enough. I don't need $200 million. But Boris's <laughs> clients leave, and we've seen what Jim Crane lets those guys walk. And as long as they're winning, he's not going to deviate from that formula. So you think, if you had to predict, it sounds like you think Alex Bregman is going to be a long, long-term Houston Astro. Like you think I, I hope he is. I think he'll be gone. I just don't think it'll be for as long a deal. For gotcha. as much money as Ian Boris want. But still too rich for Jim Crane's blood. Yeah. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I hope All that's right, not true, but, it, you know, history speaks. No, I love Bregman. I And I the, the problem now, John, is that for a lot of these other guys that walked, there was a solution in-house to replace all of them. You know, there was a Jeremy Pena waiting to replace Carlos Correa. Any of the pitchers that left, there were a myriad of pitchers that were going to step up and replace Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole or Charlie Morton or Dallas Keuchel or guys like that. Um, it's, it's not as, not as deep a farm system now for that sort of thing. They still haven't replaced George Springer since he left a couple of years ago. It's not no disrespect to Chaz. They're they're They've got depth at pitching. They've got Spencer Getty, their best pitcher in the minors ready. Like 
uh, Hunter Brown was. But yeah. if you look at all their pitchers, you know, the best one was the oldest one. Fromber's got to bounce back. Javier's got to bounce back. Yep. Everybody's saying McCullers will be back sometime next year. I'd bet that he's not. Yeah. And then at some point, Luis Garcia will be back. But that could be 2025. Yeah. It's tough. Uh, all right, John. Um, tomorrow at 10 a.m., tickets go on sale for the Rolling Stones at NRG Stadium on April the 28th. Draft weekend, by the way. For real or Fugazi, Rolling Stones is a top five all-time John McClain playlist band. That's for real. You're to their top five for you? I go way back with the Stones back to when I was in junior high. Used to play in a rock and roll band, and, uh, and I would get up there and act like I was Mick Jagger. Thank God Mick couldn't sing. And, and I like I gargled with gravel. And the reason I was a sing- singer is I had a paper route, and I spent 700 bucks on a sound system, and I would turn it up so loud nobody could hear me. But I danced around like Mick, see see an album cover with certain kind of shoes and see if I could find something in my dad's closet, reasonable, and I wore a Nehru jacket, and we played around Central Texas. So you actually did gigs, this band? Yeah, we did. We uh, we would go to places, little towns in Central Texas, and we would put signs up all over the little town saying that we had played in Dallas. Uh, we were, we uh, played with Jimi Hendrix. Well, who's going to know? Look we had you. us playing with all kinds of people. Like we had Jimmy, Leary. Jimi Hendrix's lead guitarist. Well, Jimmy was the lead guitarist. And I'll tell you what, my neighborhood jacket was popular <laughs> with the birds, as Paul McCarty always said. So time, did, we were, I was in a barn in McGregor, Texas, and we had taken over some hall and there was a break. So I was out in the barn making out in the hay and I hear our band leader start screaming into the microphone, John McClain, we're about to start. John <laughs> McClain, we're about to start. This guy was a badass. And he goes, okay, John McClain, you better get your ass in here. I'm going to kick it. And I had That's- to go. That's the most Mick Jagger thing you did. You know that at various points, Mick Jagger was stooping some groupie and and, and, the, and the band had to go back out for an encore or the show was about to start or something like that. Man, John, that's I'm so glad I put this into For Real or Fugazi. What was the name of the band? Uh, I can't tell you. On, I've talked told this story in Nashville. I've had people come up to me in public in Nashville. Are you John McClain now? Can you please tell me the name of your band? And you I won't, won't tell, tell anybody because they've talked about it so much on the radio over the last 28 years. Oh I'll tell God. you off air. Okay. You, you'll sounds see good. why I can't say what it was. I got you. Okay. So, sounds good. Um, all right. You're going to love uh, it. I can't wait. I can't wait. Hey, James, if you're listening, our producer, needless to say, this should be one of the videos that we put out right here. John McClain's musical history. <laughs> I do have a column you mentioned earlier about the explosive oh, yeah. plays. I've got a column on sportsradio610.com about that very subject and how they're going to have to make sure Russell Wilson, who isn't throwing the ball down the field, doesn't all of a sudden start. Yeah, no, that's uh, he, he's he's got that club in his bag. He just hasn't used it very much this year for sure. So uh, that's a good one. That'll be on sportsradio610.com. John? I, I enjoyed it as always. I especially enjoyed about the last three or four minutes of this podcast very, very much. Thanks very much, Sean. I'll see you at the game.
I'll see you at 11.15 out at the uh, stage just outside Bud Light Plaza at NRG Stadium. John joins Seth and I on Texans Countdown prior to each and every Texans game. Uh, big thanks to James Jackson, our producer, who says in the chat, this will be the first clip that he cuts, the, the musical history of John McClain. So that'll be, up, uh, that'll be up on social media in no time at all. James does a great job of getting the podcast out to all of you. Uh, in time where it's all still relevant and it's not obsolete and you're getting the good previews and the good reviews of everything going on. Great job by James. Click that subscribe button and then you get the podcast automatically. You don't have to search it out. You don't have to follow us on social. Well, you should follow us on social media, but you don't have to wait for us to tweet it out or whatever. It comes right to your device and you're listening and you're off and running in what's been a really fun Texan season. So for James Jackson and John McClain, I am Sean Pendergast. We're out of time. We will see all of you Sunday night following the Texans-Broncos game at NRG Stadium. Have a great weekend, everybody.